1: To begin WaveScan today, you're hearing the Quarantine Anthem, a virtual choir with each person independently at their own home. Music and words were adapted from a Billy Joel original hit song. Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. This is edition 592 for release on Sunday, June 28, 2020. On WaveScan today, the radio story, quarantine on a lonely island. We'll have more from the HFCC in Malaysia and our Australian DX report from Bob Hadula. Well, So many people around our world have been under various forms of lockdown due to the ravages of the coronavirus or COVID-19 in their communities. But what would you do if you were suddenly and unexpectedly quarantined on a lonely island somewhere? Yes, it's true. There are indeed some lonely islands out there in the wide open spaces of our huge oceans where the unwanted virus has not encroached into their communities. And yes, there are several island locations where visitors and tourists have been inadvertently caught by the enactment of local laws and regulations, and they are therefore under lockdown for a period of time. In our program today, Ray Robinson presents the story of two or three locations where this has happened.
0: Thanks, Jeff. The very popular 29-year-old TV and travel hostess from Poland, Eva Zubek, was suddenly and unexpectedly caught in a virus lockdown situation on the island of Socotra in the Arabian Sea off the coast of Yemen. She travelled to Socotra for an unpublicized marathon run, expecting to stay no more than two weeks. Socotra is an isolated, windswept, mountainous island 80 miles by 30 miles, which is largely inaccessible from anywhere. The local coastal people are mainly fisher families, and the inland people are generally semi-nomadic animal herders. The citizens of Socotra trace their ancestry back to early settlers from Europe and Arabia, and they speak their own form of a pre-Arabic language. The Nestorian version of early Christianity was introduced into Socotra in the year 535 A.D., though these days they worship according to Muslim rites. Over the years this island has been occupied by Portugal, England, Germany and Arabia. One third of the plant life on Socotra is not found anywhere else on earth. There are more unique forms of life on this island than what the famous English naturalist Charles Darwin discovered in his historic visit to the Galapagos Islands. Among the strange types of trees growing on Socotra is the umbrella-shaped dragon's blood tree, the elephant's leg tree and the so-called floating tree. Travel specialist Eva Zubek arrived in Socotra on a specially chartered flight from Cairo, Egypt, with 40 other marathon runners on March 11th this year, and they spent their time in preparation, and yes, they did run their planned marathon race. Just before their scheduled time to leave the island, the local government announced the closure of all travel into Socotra as a precaution against the virus, and they asked all tourists to leave as soon as possible. But Eva, together with four others, decided to remain on the island. It was safer to remain there than to return to virus-ridden Europe. On a daily basis, she sent out her vlogs for dissemination by YouTube, radio and TV. She showed her local adventures, mountaineering, boating, camping and hunting for seafood, and her brief hospitalisation due to a hiking fall. Finally, after an unintended two-month stay, Eva Zubek was evacuated on a cargo ship, back to the delight of her one million avid followers. The first application of wireless communications in the environs of Socotra occurred more than a 100 years ago in 1915. The French cargo and passenger liner Euphrates, callsign FNE, was wrecked off the east coast of Socotra and as a result of emergency wireless signals, two nearby ships responded. Interestingly, in the same year, 1915, an English ship with the same name, Socotra, was wrecked off the French coast at Boulogne. A disaster message from the Marconi wireless equipment aboard the ship, callsign MSJ, brought others to the rescue. It's known that there is a shortwave transmitter in the island capital of Socotra, Hadibu, for communication with mainland Yemen. And it's known that there is also a radio broadcasting station in Hadibu, which provides entertainment programming and information. The island governor sometimes makes a broadcast on important occasions. However, nothing more is known about their radio broadcasting scene, and a search of the city via Google Earth shows no radio towers anywhere it's probable that their local radio broadcasting station is an FM operation. Now we turn to the island called Gough, which is located in an isolated area of the Atlantic Ocean between Africa and South America. It's a rugged volcanic island eight miles long and four miles wide, and it's listed as one of the most important bird sanctuaries in the world. Uninhabited Gough Island was discovered by the Portuguese, and it's been visited by the English, Scottish and South Africans, as well as by a lot of seafarers and scientific expeditions. This island was claimed by Great Britain in 1938, and it's administered from another island further north, Tristan da Cunha. A 1954 postage stamp from Tristan da Cunha depicts Gough Island. In 2007, naturalist researchers published a lengthy scientific document in which it was revealed that millions of overgrown supersized house mice are devouring and destroying two million eggs, bird chicks and mature birds on Gough Island each year, several of which are endangered species. These mice were unintentionally introduced to the island from seafarer ships during the 1800s and they've grown to three times the size of regular house mice. In February 2020, a team of scientific mouse eradicators arrived on Gough Island and they began their lengthy work of poison-baiting this massive race of super-mice. However, due to the worldwide China virus pandemic, plans were laid to rescue the team off Gough Island and return them to their home countries. However, it was necessary for them to remain in unexpected isolation on the island until the middle of April, when they eventually travelled 2,000 miles by yacht to Ascension Island, and then by Royal Air Force plane to England. Beginning in December 1953, the fishing ship Vuerbach began a four-month-long stint of sending weather reports from Gough Island by shortwave radio back to South Africa. And then two years later again, a British research ship performed a similar weather service for South Africa. The South African government considered the weather reports from Gough Island so important that they established their own weather service on the island. On May thirteenth, 1956, and in cooperation with the British government, Weatherman J.J. Fundamerva was sworn in as the island magistrate for Gough Island, and ever since, a small team of rotated personnel from South Africa has served on the island. Seven years later, in 1963, the South African Postal Service took the unprecedented step of printing a postage stamp honouring the South African weather-related shortwave radio communication station on a British island. The eight-cent stamp shows a picture of the South African weather and radio station, which also includes the radio mast. The radio officer on Gough Island photographed a dramatic solar eclipse on January 26, 2009, a picture that is studied by astronomers to this day. And sadly, on August 9th, 2014, a man on Gough Island choked to death on his own vomit. And this information, too, was radioed back to South Africa by a fellow team member, who was also an amateur radio operator with the special call ZD9M. And then we could note that a group of European tourists were trapped on a tourist island in the Maldives during a virus lockdown. But that'll have to be the story for another occasion here in WaveScan. For now, it's back to you, Jeff.
1: Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. And I have some uh, late-breaking news on uh, the situation in Socotra Island from Al Jazeera. This is on uh, June 22nd, it was reported, that Yemen's United Arab Emirates-backed southern separatists have seized full control of the island of Socotra. The Southern Transitional Council says it has also deposed the governor of the island. But Yemen's Saudi Arabia-backed government is calling it a coup. It's the latest move from the separatist group, which wants to see a sovereign state in southern Yemen. So the situation in Socotra is becoming even more complicated. You're listening to WaveScan from Adventist World Radio. Our friend Antonio Avenino the director of the DX club Sem Fronteiras in Brazil informs us that the fourth national meeting of DXers and radio listeners in Brazil, which was scheduled for October 9th and 10th of this year in the city of Caruaru in Pernambuco state in Brazil, has been canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic. Antonio tells us that the meeting will be rescheduled for October of 2021. And as we mentioned recently here on Wayscan, the B20 conference of the HFCC, or High Frequency Coordination Conference, which was scheduled for the last week of August in Sofia, Bulgaria, has also been canceled. Here on Wayscan, we regularly cover the HFCC conferences that normally take place twice each year in different parts of the world. This year, unfortunately, there will only be one conference, and that one took place in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, back in February. WWCR's Jerry Plummer and I have been talking about that meeting in various segments here on Wayscan since March and we've now arrived at day four of the conference. Here's the report that Jerry and I recorded in Malaysia in February.
2: Well it's day four Jerry. Yeah we we've made it through the fourth day. Uh, uh, Things that went went well you know Jeff I think things went a little bit better than I originally thought they might you know. Yeah, uh, it was uh, we kind of wondered if it was going
1: to be a disaster after the thing yeah, after the Chinese uh, yeah. conference was canceled and we had to move everything to
2: Malaysia here. Yeah, and we were unsure about the hotel and mm. very little notice really was able to give anybody so um, it's it's turned out that it's it's actually turned out pretty well. As an example, I think that our uh, dinner that we had on Wednesday night worked out well.
1: Yeah, it was uh, in a Spanish restaurant. Uh, Spanish restaurant in Malaysia. <laughs> in Malaysia. <laughs> yeah. Overlooking a nice uh swimming pool, uh uh, and it was uh, mostly
2: Spanish food. It was. Uh, well, this is. Didn't you say that this is a hotel is based in Spain? It's headquartered it, in. Spain? It is. Yeah. This is the Melia chain, and uh, they
1: are based in Spain. The first time we've used them for this conference was last year when it was in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Mm, right. Right. And now this year, just coincidentally, uh, <laughs> same same place, same, place, yeah. same uh, hotel chain, but in Malaysia. But um, yeah it was good. We uh we had uh it was a good time for fellowship and so on right, and right. we had a chance at our table to uh talk with uh Ken Lingwood from uh, Reach Beyond Australia yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, and yeah. and his uh, colleague Jonas about
2: uh because they're they're hosting the conference uh, next year. Yeah, yeah. actually uh, next August. year. In August, yeah. They what B twenty one, I guess that is.
1: Yeah, and and I wanted to find out a little bit about uh um, the area where it's going to be mm-hmm, along mm-hmm. the Gold Coast of Australia, right. and then about some other places uh, because uh, uh, Thais always has wanted to go to uh, Ayer's Rock, or Uluru as they call it now, in the what center is it, of the what country. Is that? That's a big, you know, if you go to an, like an Outback Steakhouse restaurant, yeah. you see these pictures of the big red rock yeah, uh, yeah, monolith yeah, yeah. in yeah, the middle yeah. of the... Desert. Well, that's it. That's Ayers so, rock. Uh, so it's in the middle of Australia. It's in the middle of Australia. It's in the the state is Northern Territory, and um, it's it's really in the middle of nowhere. It's fairly near the city of Alice
2: Springs. You can oh, okay. Yeah. There. I've I've, uh-huh. I've heard of it. In fact, one of our attendees, uh, Dwayne Williams, I think, worked in Alice Springs for uh, after he left the Navy oh. or the Air Force sorry oh. Oh. Uh, because I think I've heard him mention that
1: okay well uh, yeah so she so wants so to go there to the she wants to go area. there it's, it's probably one of the number one tourist places places in uh, tourist attractions in Australia but it's kind of hard to get to Mm -hmm. Um, and then uh, so we were talking about that and Ken Ken Lingwood uh, from Reach Beyond Australia he has traveled all over I mean Australia is just a a gigantic continent it's huge and he's traveled all over because he used to work as a trucker
2: That's right. Uh, He said that, yeah. yeah. And he's driven almost all of that area. That's right. Some of the most remote areas, and he was talking about the uh, the
1: crocodiles and the snakes and the... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, the, uh-huh. the, the, just all the interesting things you can see the, the kangaroos and the koalas and we were talking about. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, well,
2: yeah well, you remember last time they took us to a, a reserve of kangaroos and koalas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where they were just very domesticated.
1: Yeah. yeah, he was saying if you find a kangaroo out in the wild, you do not want to try and touch it. Uh,
2: yeah, uh, no that's it what will, he said.
1: It will attack you.
2: Where asked the ones in the reserve the last time? I know people were petting them like dogs. I I was. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, I was too. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking about this rock thing you're talking about. I know you, you and her like to hit while you're away. You know, if there's a chance, you like to hit unique places. So this would be sort of a unique, unique place like that. What were you we somewhere? I was trying to think where it was, where you and her took off for two or three days to go see uh, what I believe is where the first Star Wars movie was actually. That
1: was uh, last year, in fact, uh, when the conference was in Tunis, Tunis, Tunisia. We went down to, I'd always wanted to go to the southern Tunisia, to the desert. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's actually the beginning of the Sahara, and there's a town called Tozur there. and So we went down there for, I don't know, two or three nights, and... Took a tour uh, out into the desert, mm-hmm. you know, in these four-wheel drive vehicles, and right. into the dunes. Right. And, and we drove like for like an hour and a half or something off of the main road. In the middle of nowhere, there was all of a sudden a village... A, I mean, a small, small mm-hmm. village. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a real village. It was an artificial village that they had built as the set for one of the Star Wars movies. Yeah, that's what and, I, <laughs> I, and
2: You sent me a picture from it, and I looked. I think it came from the very first Star Wars movie.
1: Oh, yeah, one of the old you ones. Know, I, uh, mm-hmm. I think so. And uh, it was... But, you know, even though it's an artificial thing, uh, there are a few people out there because tourists go out to see it. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. they um, they try and
2: sell you... And oh, the right yeah. and so on. In the well, you day. had to take like a real small plane to get there, didn't you? It wasn't a jetliner.
1: Yeah, it was a small plane down to <laughs> down to uh, uh, Tozur. and in fact, I think it was a uh, an Air Libya jet that they had rented or something. Was, right to get it was down from, there from yeah. Libya. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> But, uh, I thought that uh, was it.
1: Or, 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 or uh, Libya or Algeria. Algeria maybe it was. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, if it's we're, the, that's, well, a, that's well, our well, idea, to go away for a couple of well, days, maybe see Airs yeah. Rock or something like that. I,
2: I understand the last time I was in yeah. Australia, mm-hmm. I went uh, just for a couple of days went to um, uh, Christ Church uh, Mm. and then on the way back yeah New Zealand and on the way back I I did two days on the way in uh, Fiji Fiji Islands Uh. you know kind of like what you're talking about that's on my
1: bucket list (laughs) well
2: i mean what other chance would you have to get that you know uh, yeah uh, yeah. and like you at the red rock i mean you're in australia (laughs) i mean that's Mm -hmm. as close as you're going to get you know to to get there and we were talking with ken about the um the recent fires there and all that Mm -hmm. uh, as well
1: jerry Plummer, frequency manager for wwcr in tennessee and for the caribbean beacon in anguilla was talking with me there in kuala lumpur malaysia on day four of the HFCC A20 Shortwave Frequency Planning Conference. We'll continue with that conversation on an upcoming wave scan. But right now, let's go to Bob Padula in Melbourne, Australia, with his DX News.
3: As usual, we commence this week's report with information from the Ionospheric Prediction Service in Sydney, New South Wales, here in Australia, of course, concerning propagation The IPS reports that the level of solar activity has continued to remain very low. The 10.7 centimetre solar radio flux has dropped to 78 and the daily equivalent smooth sunspot number has fallen to 4, a single figure 4. The IPS further reports that those figures are not expected to change significantly in the immediate future. So that means that high-frequency broadcasting on long distances on frequencies above about 10 megahertz, during darkness paths or semi-darkness periods will continue to be quite unreliable. But frequencies above 10 megahertz during daytime hours will be somewhat more consistent. Now we have some propagation and monitoring notes made here in Melbourne. So we look at the morning service, morning services between 1900 and 1930. That's 5am to 5.30am here in Melbourne. First of all, 31 metre band. 9845, Madagascar, World Christian Radio, broadcasting from the relay station there, with programs in Russian that's actually intended for Eastern and Central Europe. 9840 9800 The American Station WBCQ using the relay transmitter at Wolferton in England with programs in Arabic 9765 China Radio International from transmitting site near Beijing with programs in Portuguese 9645 Another China Radio International frequency also from Beijing in French 9610 Radio Romania International with transmission in Spanish to Europe 9482 China Radio International with programs in French from the GN transmitting site 7810 Taiwan Broadcasting Service from Sound of Hope a uh, politically based station using brokered Facilities in Asia with programs in Chinese Nine, uh, Sorry, 7485 Voice of America from the Tanang station in the Philippines With morning programs in Korean And 7265 China Radio International From Xian or Xi'an with broadcast in English And just down from there, 7255 five, BBC from the Madagascar Relay Station at Salata with programs in English And 6155, another frequency for the BBC, also in English also a relay, this time from the Sao Tome transmitting station And 11975, up in the 25 metre band Radio Romania International with programming in Romanian Well that short summary was a listing of Signals noted here in Melbourne recently in the 1900 to 1930 time period, which is 5am to 5.30am. That's the more monitoring this time in our afternoon period. This is from one of my favourite field monitoring locations out on the Yarra River, not far from eastern, the eastern suburb. It's actually in the outer east, a uh, like suburb known as Templestowe. And the location is actually the Westerfolds Park A very big park out there and very popular Quite good reception at the Westerfolds Park Because power line interference is quite quite low Afternoon reception Between 0425 and 0500 49 metre band coming in quite well 6180 Radio Romania International With programming in Romanian Just a reminder that full-detail ADXR QSL cards are available by contacting this address. The URL is simply adxr.org. I'll give that once again, adxr.org. At that address, you'll find all the details about how you may send in a reception report, and you can receive a QSL card via postal mail, that's physical postal mail, or via the Internet. So until our next program, this is Bob in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, wishing you all good listening, and thanks for being with us. Goodbye for now. Thank you, Bob.
1: A quick uh, hello to two Russian DXers who have sent us uh, reports on WaveScan recently. Anatoly Klepov in Moscow. He is the uh, Russian DX League chairman. And he heard wave scan at 1100 UTC on 9510 kHz with a very good SINPO rating of 45444. And Dmitry Lagin. He is in Saratov in southwestern Russia. heard wave scan with the Bangladesh DX report uh, at 1530 UTC on 15670 kHz. Also a pretty good tempo rating, 55344. wave scan today with you'll never walk alone from the rogers and hammerstein musical carousel prepared to spread a little hope during covid time this is a virtual choir and orchestra of people from 15 countries 300 participants thanks for listening to wave scan the international program the x program from adventist world radio Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, kerosene-powered radio. Yes, that's correct. The story of a radio receiver that is powered by the flame from a kerosene lamp. We'll also go back to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia for more on the HSCC and our Japan DX report as well. Several QSL cards are available for wave scans. Send your AWR and KSDA reports to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, which might be WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy, or to the AWR relay stations that carry wave scan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program, such as Bob Padula's report today. Return postage and an address label... Are always appreciated, and they will send their own colorful QSL card. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr dot org. The postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio, PO Box two three four, Prakanong. That's P R A K A N O N G, Bangkok. One zero, one one zero, Thailand. Again, that's Adventist World Radio, PO Box two three four, Prakadong Bangkok, one zero, one one zero, Thailand. The email address for other correspondence to WaveScan is wavescan at awr Please don't send reception reports to that address. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.